wanted to share this with you. Got this letter this week on behalf of the city of Uniontown. Thank you for your support of the community cleanup day. The volunteers from Faith Assembly were part of volunteers that collected 12 tons of trash in four hours. These events demonstrate what can be accomplished with commitment for the betterment of our city. Without the support of your church and its members, we would not have had such a successful event. With your help, we are making a huge impact in the city of Uniontown. Give it up for what God is doing in Uniontown. Say, well, it's just picking up trash. Well, uh, um, now, how many of the heart, the heart of the servant is what the has the heart of Jesus? And so uh, grateful for servants. I want to share this one with you. This was a. Um, from a couple weeks ago, but uh, I recently got this. Uh, someone said to me, Pastor, have you seen this? And they shared it with me. Uh, they had, a friend of theirs had shared it on Facebook, so I wanted to share it with you today. It says, while waiting for the helicopter to drop eggs. Y'all remember that? It was like a couple weeks ago. You lose track of time, right? It's like after, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you have to remind yourself, oh, wait, that was just a week ago or back to my story. Okay. While waiting for the helicopter to drop eggs, they were talking and preaching and putting on a little skit while everyone was sitting on the bleachers. They talked about God and his love for everyone and how he shows up at all times in life, not just in bad times. He then asked if anyone wanted Jesus in their heart to raise their hand. And immediately my son raises his hand and looks at me and says, Mommy, I do. Totally caught me off guard because I didn't even think he was paying attention to anything that was being said. But then I watched my six-year-old son as he bowed his head and said the prayer. This is what Easter is really all about. He came for eggs and candy, but I think he left with a lot more. Come on, give it up for God's work in people's lives. We get to be a part of this, y'all. And and when I say we get to be a part of this, I don't mean we get to be a part of Faith Assembly. We get to be a part of the kingdom of God, because how many know the kingdom of God is bigger than Faith Assembly? It is all the other churches, all of us together, we get to be a part of what God is doing in this day, in this hour. We're in this series called The Return, Getting Back uh, back where we belong. Uh, God created a place for us. Sin separated us from us, or from it. But Jesus uh, made a way through the cross that we could get back to where we belong. How many are grateful for the work of the cross and the power of the cross? We're talking about walking in freedom, uh, total freedom. And uh, I want to look today at a, a a gentleman in Scripture who is not really well known. In fact, um, it'd be all right today if I say his name. You're like, never heard of that guy. That's okay. Uh, not someone that we talk about a, a whole lot, but there's a whole chapter in Second Samuel chapter 9 dedicated to his story. And it's a picture of salvation. I want to look at that today. He's so uh, unknown that David, the king at the time, didn't even know him. David had to inquire, hey, is there anybody out there? And so uh, he's, he's unknown. You might be here today and you feel like you're at low points where nobody knows. You feel like you're at a place where nobody really knows what you're going through, what, what you're walking through, what's taking place. Uh, but I want you to know God knows where to find you. God knows how to lead you into the victory that he has for you because he's not done working on your behalf. And so uh, I hope today just to be encouraged because God wants you to walk in total freedom. He who the sun sets free is free indeed, completely. And, uh, man, that's my prayer for you. So why don't you stand with me today in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to read the entire chapter. Hold on, it's only 13 verses. We'll be fine. 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting verse 1, it says, One day David, he's the current king, David uh, asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive, anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servant. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, I am, sir, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. How many are thankful for the kindness of God? 
Don't ever take for granted the kindness of God. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. I want you to know God is not looking to condemn you. He's looking to be kind to you. Now, his kindness isn't going to leave you in the same place he found you. Come on, that's not love. But he has not come to condemn the world, but to show kindness, the kindness that leads us to repentance. David, of course, says, I want to show kindness uh, to him. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. I love how his introduction is his condition. Aren't we good at that? We introduce people or we, we know people by their condition. It's all throughout the Bible. The woman with the issue of blood. The woman caught in adultery. The blind man. The beggar. Right? Doubting Thomas. How many are thankful that Jesus doesn't know us according to our condition, but he knows us in the newness of what he's made us to be? He's, he's being described. Who is this guy? He is, he, he's crippled. He gives the description of him. He says that he's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked, in Lodabar. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the bar is low in Lodabar. And there's not a drum. The ching. All right, here we go. Ziba told him, he is at the home of Maker, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Somebody say Mephibosheth. Close enough. All right. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. Why would he have to say don't be afraid? Well, he is the grandson of the former king, and family members of the former king are seen as a threat to the current king. So the current king usually gets rid of all the family members of the former king because that's how you establish kingdoms in those days. But how many know David is not a king like any other king? David is a man after God's own. Are there any men in the room who are men after God's own heart? Where, where are all the men who are men? Are there any men in here, men after? Come on, men. Where, give it up for all the men who are. Uh, so you're like, wait, I, I want to say that, but I don't want to like brag on myself. Well, let your wife do it for you. All right. Okay, where was I? Get back to this. Okay, here we go. Uh, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? I'm lame. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm on the different side of the family. I don't have anything to offer. Who am I that you would even show kindness? Then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, basically telling us he had enough people to serve the fields, everything that belonged to Saul. Ziba replied, yes, my Lord, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a son, uh, his own son, young son named Micah, from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. He went from Lodabar to the king. <laughs> I don't know. Just go. Yeah, he went from Lodabar to the, to the king's table. That's what he did. And let me focus on this verse here. 
uh, it says, uh, verse 7, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness. I will show kindness to you because your promise, my promise to your father, Jonathan, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your father, Saul, and you will eat here at the king's table. God, thank you for what you prepared. I pray today that we would know what you prepared for us, and God, that we would not settle for less than because you've given us great resource. I thank you, God, for what you've done in the past, but God, I pray that we would not just walk in salvation. Let us walk in the fullness of salvation. God, I pray that we would walk in the fullness, that, Lord, we would be saved, delivered, and healed. I pray this in Jesus' name, who the sun sets free, is free indeed. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk just from this title, um, even if you got dropped. Uh, There's inevitably moments in life when you've been let down, looked over, and left out. Somewhere in life, there's been something that has not gone or you've not been treated as you thought you 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 would have seen things to be different but it's not where you imagined and in those moments here's the good news Jesus knows where to find you when it feels like life left you in the dust when it feels like plans that you had you've gone through something that that has left you in the in the the place of this isn't what you expected um, that Jesus knows when you, where you are. It's not a moment of if this happens in life. It's a moment of when it happens in life. You're, you're, all of us are in moments where we get let down, we get looked over, we get left out. Uh, there's just times where it feels like it's passing us by. This is the, the situation that we know for uh, Mephibosheth, who is the grandson of Jonathan, or the grandson of Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, let's just look at who this guy is. He is... Um, at the time, he's found in a place called Lodabar. Well, how did he get there? Uh, he's, he's 20-some years old at this moment, but he had spent about 20 years, 18 to 20 years now, he's been living in Lodabar. Before he was in Lodabar, he was in the capital city of that time in, in, uh, the, where, where Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, had their, their place set up. His grandfather was Saul the king. He was in the king's palace. He was... The third in line to be king, Saul is the king. Saul had it in mind that Jonathan, his son, would be the next king. And then if your dad's the following king of your grandfather, how many know you're probably then the next king to follow your dad? He's in line to be king, and so he's got this this destiny on him. There's this moment of what life could have been. Then all of a sudden, something gets dropped, and it's not what he thought it would be. This moment, now instead of being next in line to be king, he's out in Lodabar, where David doesn't even know who is he, where is he, and what's going on. David had no idea. I don't know if you've ever been in the moment where it feels like nobody even knows what's going on in my world. Does anybody know what it's like to walk through what I've gone through? Does anybody know that things that you've thought would happen in life? You never saw your marriage ending that way. Something got dropped. You never saw your life taking course at this. Something got dropped. You you, you never thought you you would have this addiction, that this situation would surround you. You never thought that this would occur, that someone would lie to you and deceive you and take advantage of you. You never thought someone would mistreat you, misuse you, abuse you. You never thought you, you never thought this would be the place that you'd be. But life has moments when we get dropped sometimes in life. This is Mephibosheth as he makes his way to Lodabar. He's in Lodabar because he got there 
when he was five years old, fleeing for his life. Now, he didn't go on his own. He had a nurse who would take care of him. The king had people who would look after his own kids. But one day, while his father and grandfather were off to war, the Philistines were attacking. They go to war. Saul, his father, takes the army. They're on Gilboa. That They're a place that they think they'll have the high point. But unfortunately, they weaken, and the Philistines now come in, and they overtake. Three of Saul's sons are killed. One of them is Jonathan. Jonathan, who is Mephibosheth's father. There are his sons who are now killed in battle on the field. Saul, the current king, sees the threatening army coming. Saul knows that if he gets captured, the Philistines are going to kill him, cut his head off, and then parade him into their city, into their place. I know it's, it's brutal. It's difficult. That's what they did. It's in the Bible, and they did that anyway. Saul, not wanting that to happen, he took matters into his own hand. He found a sword, his own sword, and he fell on the sword. This is now the situation of Mephibosheth. He is the grandson of a king who dishonored God, and now he is of a family that is not of the current king, and his grandfather took matters into his own hands. Mephibosheth flees for his life And it wasn't enough that his grandfather took his life and that his grandfather had passed, had died. But now while his nurse is running, listen to what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It it says this, that Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. This gives us the narrative of what happened to Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. He got crippled because his nurse dropped him. Sometimes in life, it, 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 there are moments that, that things happen in life, and it can be the, 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 uh, uh, just the direct evil. People take advantage. People misuse. But sometimes we get dropped just because of incident in life, things that occur, stuff that happens. And this is the situation that Mephibosheth finds himself in. Someone drops him. Now he's crippled, and he's all the way in Lodabar, a place that means pastureless. Pastureless means nothing lives there. There is nothing. You don't have any grounds to, to, to keep things, to grow. You're, you're basically living off what people will give you. You went from being the son of a king to now being in Lodabar. How low can it really get? How low can you get in that point? And sometimes we see our life and we set in moments, of, we see a course and something occurs. Someone drops us. Something's done to us. Someone introduces us to something. Someone influences us. Whatever it is, sin has its way of finding its way in and affecting us. And something takes us on a course that says, how did I end up here? How did this come about? How did I get? I should have been in line. There's no reason this should have happened. Here's the simple answer. We live in a broken and fallen world, and sin desires to separate us from God. But I'm not here today to tell you what sin can do. I'm here today to tell you what Jesus did on the cross to overcome and defeat every work of sin to give us victory, and it's recognizing what Christ did. Yes, we are broken, crippled, fallen, hurt, disappointed people, but the cross of Jesus Christ makes us more than what we used to be. So this hope that we have that, that even though we've been, we've been dropped, we've been disappointed, how do we respond? Because here's what I recognize. I've been in church now for 42 years of my life, going on 43 years of my life. Yeah, dad got saved on April Fool's 1979, and it was no joke. His life got transformed. Uh, I was two years old when my dad met Jesus 
And so as a two-year-old, I've grown up in church all my life. I mean, I just, this is all I know, going to church. But I'm grateful that I don't just know church. I know the one who is Jesus, the head of the church. Because I've met people who know church, but haven't met Jesus. Um, if I would have just met church, I've been ch- done with church a long time ago. Can I just be honest with you? Let me just be honest with you. If I would have just met church, I'd have been done with church a long time ago. That's why some people go in in church, out of church, don't stay in a relationship be- or their walk with Jesus because they never met Jesus. They just met the things of Jesus. They got one to church but never one to Jesus. They got one to religion but never got one to Jesus. Jesus will transform your life and keep changing you over and over and over. I've been in, in, in you know, 42 years growing up in church, and here's what I've learned some of it, you know, maybe discernment, but honestly, a lot of it's just experience. I've met a lot of people who are saved, but not walking in the fullness of their salvation. I've met people who know Jesus, but they're not walking in the complete freedom that comes in knowing Jesus. You say, is it possible? Absolutely. Lazarus was, was, sa- was, was brought back to life. It's a picture of salvation. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the first thing he does when Lazarus comes forth, Jesus says, now take the grave clothes off of him. Why? Because you can be alive and still bound. You can, you can, you can receive the gospel and still walk in the attachment to the things that are behind you the things that have attached themselves. And so there's this, this process of walking in freedom. And there's two types of people that, that sometimes get, get, get brought into church and are here. There are those that are the prodigal son, the story we told on, on Easter Sunday, the prodigal son that uh, uh, left his father. Jesus tells the story of a man who says, give me everything I, I deserve and I'm going out on my own to do life on my own. How many know we have all been a prodigal one time or another? We try to take matters in our own hands to do our own thing. And the father waited for him to come back. So there's some of us today, maybe you're in the room and you're the prodigal that needs to come home. You need to come back where you belong. But then that prodigal had an older brother who was in the house. And the older brother, the moment the prodigal son came in, the prodigal brother came in the front door, the older son walked out the back door because the older son was offended and bothered now because the prodigal son was getting this treatment and getting all this. The father says to the prodigal son's brother, don't you know that everything I've had is yours all along? Which tells me the prodigal brother didn't really know what he had to begin with. He didn't even know. And I believe there's some people who are in the house but don't really know all God has for them. That you're in the room, but you're not sitting in the seat and eating what he has for you. You're in the room, and you can, you, you can smell it. You can describe it. You can say what it is. And it's, not, it's, it's a dangerous thing when we know the doctrines of the church, but we don't know the discipline of the one we follow. When, when we know, well, that doesn't smell right. That shouldn't. We, we become critics of church rather than a follower of Jesus Christ. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Because we know how to critique and we know how to say what seems right. And then we're tempted sometimes to be the older brother that steps out the back door. I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't. And all the while, the, the, the father says, man, you were in my house the whole time. And you didn't even take advantage of what I had for you. And what I want to say to you, whether you're the prodigal son or the prodigal's brother, I want to say to you today, God has more than you can ever imagine. So take your seat and allow your heart to be free and to know him. There's something about being able to sit at the table and just enjoy company. Don't you love sitting at a good table to laugh and eat and enjoy company? Let me know where it is. I'll come on over. That's, uh, there, there's something, and, and he's prepared a table for us. And I know sometimes it's, it's, it's you know, the, the situations of life that we, that we might go through. But I want to talk uh, today. Maybe there's some people, you, you're saying today that, that you've gone through some things and, and people don't even know what you've gone through. That's like Mephibosheth. Uh, here's a guy who should have been in the king's palace, but now he is a runaway 
And as a runaway, he's in a place that just literally means nothing. And I want to say to you today, if you're away from God, come home. And if you're in the house, don't settle for nothing. Allow the freedom that God has for your life. How do, how do we walk in, in this freedom? What is, what is made possible that even though we've been dropped, here's, here's, here's first thing is this. I've got to know this today, that Jesus knows the situation that I'm in. It is important to know that Jesus knows. Here's why. Because if Jesus knows, he can do something about it. Um, if I know that your pipes are leaking at the house, hey, I know. But if a plumber knows your pipes are leaking at the house, how many know I'd rather the plumber know than me know? Sometimes we're letting other people know where we are, and Jesus is saying all the while, I already know. You don't need to be airing your dirty laundry. Just quit wearing it. Sometimes we think, oh, to get healing, I got I to gotta air my dirty, you know, I got to let people know what I'm going through. No, 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 no. You don't need to air your dirty laundry. Just quit wearing it. He's come to give you new clothes. He's come to give you a new outfit. He's come to give you a new life. And so he knows what you're walking through. He knows where you've been. And here's the good news. He knows where you've been, but he doesn't look at you and say, well, you know, you got yourself in this. I love the story of the, the woman who was caught in adultery, which, by the way, where was the man? You can't have an adultery, adulterous relationship without someone else in the mix, but they were trying to just work the system, which, by the way, that's what religious people do who, have a, who, who, who know the form of godliness but not walk in the power of God. Um, they bring this woman to Jesus, and they're like, Moses said, if anyone... Uh, if anyone sins, you're supposed to stone them. Jesus says, all right, any of you without sin, go ahead and do it. They all drop their stones. Do you know the only person in the room or the only person in the place that had the right to throw a stone was Jesus? The only one without sin. The only one who had the right to throw a stone didn't even pick one up. Jesus didn't stand there holding a stone and saying, now listen, if you don't get your act together, this is what you're gonna get. He never held a stone. He just held kindness. Now, kindness, don't misinterpret that because some people, some people might think, oh, well, then I can just do whatever I want. No, that is kindness that leads to repentance. But if that kindness doesn't lead to repentance, there is a consequence. There's a difference between condemnation and consequence, okay? God does not condemn us for our sins, but there are consequences if we don't repent and come to Christ. Come on, somebody say Amen. Okay, this is not a gospel of live however you want. No, he just loves you. You know, just love is love. Just uh, no, God is love. Love is not love. God is love. Okay, did you hear me? God is love. And because God is love, he has given us the, the ability to respond to him. So I've got to know that God knows, that, that, or that Jesus knows where I am. And he knows where I am because if I've been dropped by anybody, so is he. You know how he got to the cross? Somebody sold him. We worship Jesus going to the cross. He died for our sins. And do you know how he got there? He was in a room 
with his disciples. They're eating in someone's house. In comes a former prostitute. She is worshiping Jesus. She brings perfume in the room. And as she brings perfume in the room, she breaks open the perfume. It fills the, the fragrance fills the room. She then washes or anoints Jesus' feet, washes her, his feet and, and, and applies this perfume. And all of a sudden, the disciples, more than one, begin to say, why are we doing this with all this perfume? We could have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. Why would we do that? Listen, Judas wasn't the only one with that idea. There were other disciples who said that, which is this to realize. There are times you can question God's ways, but it's not a problem to question God's ways. It's a problem whenever you no longer allow your questions to submit to his authority. There were other disciples who said, why would, this, why would you let this happen? And by the way, do you know what kind of woman she used to be? Aren't you thankful God knows not what you used to be, but who you are? Oh, my, my, my. He said, don't, don't you know? And of course, Jesus says what's taking place. The other disciples are like, oh, okay, you're Jesus. We'll submit to you. But one disciple said, that's it. I'm out of here. The Bible says that night he made the decision. He left that room and went to the high priest and to the religious leaders and made a deal and bargained for 31 pieces of silver. I'll give you Jesus. How did Jesus get there? Because someone who sat at his table betrayed him and sold him out. Jesus knows what it's like to be dropped, to be beaten, to be killed, to be left for dead. Whatever your load bar is, he's already gone lower than that, and he came back. Because he came back, it says wherever your low place is, he knows how to bring you, and you'll never be too low that the grace of God can't reach you, and the grace of God can't cause you to return and be restored to everything he has for you. There is no low that load bar can take you. Why is that significant? Because he knows where we are. He knows where we are because we've been there. Listen to what it says in Psalm, Psalm 189. Um, says this, 139. Says this, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. Here is the good news. There is nowhere that you can go from the presence of God. He knows your Lodabar. He knows the place of nothingness that you've been, the place of disappointment. So here's what I want you to know today. He's gone so low, and he came back, and that's the power of God. He's able to do something about your low, low spot in life, where someone dropped you, where something's been left, where things aren't the way you expected. Jesus knows. Here's number two. Jesus draws. He's drawing us out. He, th- this word draw means to, to impress upon, to, to call out. And it's significant because if we don't respond to his call, you can't have salvation without respo- responding to the call of God. Notice what David did. The Bible said David sent for Mephibosheth. David didn't go to Lodabar and hang out with Mephibosheth. David sent his word and said, bring Mephibosheth to me. I want you to know this. Salvation is not when Jesus comes to you. Salvation is when you come to him. Grace is when he comes to you. How are you saved? By faith through grace. To believe on Jesus. What is grace? Grace is that he would show up in a place he doesn't even need to come. He would come after a person who doesn't even deserve it. That he would show up, in a, that he would send the message in a place of nothingness, of emptiness and barrenness. That he would come to that place. How many know that is grace that he would even send his word? But now salvation is when I respond to the word and I'm drawn out. 
This word draw out is the same as in, in its Hebrew word, the word where Moses got his word or his name. The name for Moses means to be drawn from the water. It means to be drawn out from the water. And, and this is so significant because Moses, who was, who was uh, in the, in the uh, uh, early years of, of Jewish history when they were under in slavery, you can watch The Prince of Egypt. It's a good Disney movie. It's a, it'll tell you all about the Prince of Egypt, who he really was. But here's what happened. He was the son of, of slave, Jewish or uh, Hebrew slaves. And so his mom, to save him, put him in the water. Now, how many know he went in the water a slave, but he came out a prince? Some of us are in the water, and we know that someone came to save us, but we're still staying in the water. And you've got to be drawn out and respond. You cannot have seeing faith until you have hearing faith. And so hearing is to respond to what God is saying. If the spirit draws you, the only way you can be saved is that the spirit draws you. And that is why it's crucial to not ignore the spirit of God. If you read scripture, the, there's a sin that is, uh, that is the, the, the greatest sin, the unforgivable sin. It's the sin of blaspheming or mocking the Holy Spirit. People ask me, especially my, my years as a youth pastor, Pastor Jason, have I committed the, the, the unpardonable, the, the unforgivable sin? I said, well, does it matter to you? Yes, it matters. I said, well, then you didn't. Because the only way you would is if it didn't matter anymore. Because if you get to a place where it doesn't matter, it's because you ignore the Spirit of God. And why is that the unpardonable sin? Because the only way to get saved is to respond to the Spirit of God. So if you quit hearing the Spirit of God, you can't be saved, which means don't harden your heart when God draws you. Because if you get good at hardening your heart, guess what else will harden? And if you don't hear, you can't respond. So the unpardonable sin is not the sin of, you know, great, you know, whatever you've done, you know, the great sin. No, the unpardonable sin is when you ignore the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? Because if we were God, we'd put a, a different sin on the, on the block. of Like, that one cannot be forgiven. And some of us would think right now, the person who's offended you, that sin, that thing that I can't let go of, that thing that's haunting me, it's that thing. It's that moment. It's that place. And Jesus says, no, it's the one that you ignore my voice. So if you hear his voice today, be drawn Allow him to, to draw you out, to bring you from where you've been because you've gone in one way, but how many know we get to come out a whole different way? That he makes us all together new when we respond to him. And some of us have been in places where, where we, we know the salvation of, of Jesus, but he's taking us from, from glory to glory, that we're walking in the complete place of him drawing us out, that he's, he's, he's causing us to respond. And I pray that we would learn how to respond to him. I got saved when I was seven years old. You might be like, well, what, does a seven-year-old really know how, what salvation is? Listen, I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I had to make a decision to follow Jesus. I, I was saved at the age of seven. Now, I had to keep being drawn out ever since then, okay? I, I hit moments of God drawing me out. My, my teenage years, I had to really work through a whole place of, of my, my life surrendering to Christ, because how many know in your teenage years, you try to fit the identity and the mold that's around you? And that, that had to be drawn out, had to, had to work through God identifying and me surrendering to Christ. I never lost salvation. There are those moments saying, God, I, help, help me to keep being drawn out. And how many know I'm going to keep being drawn out 
to the things that God wants because I want to keep growing in the salvation and I want to keep being at a place that I'm at the seat that he has for me, right? I don't want to just be in the room. I want to be in the seat. I want to be at the table. I want to be in the place that, that he has for me. So we continue to be drawn out. So he, he calls us or, or he knows us. He draws us. Here's the last thing that Jesus will. Why do I, what's this matter? Because if someone says they will, they better have something to back it up. If somebody says they're going to do something, they better back it up. The only way you can say I will is because you have the ability. Notice what Jesus says here. Jesus makes this statement. He says in verse 7, don't be afraid, David said to, to Mephibosheth, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Notice that his, the sake of his father, Jonathan, it, it is significant that David says, I'm going to show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan. Notice why he didn't show him kindness. He didn't say, I'm going to show you kindness because of where you've been, what you've been through. Not even a pity thing. Notice his kindness wasn't, and you got dropped, and bad things happened to you, and you didn't have, I'm going to be kind to you because we know that kind of compassion. But you know, Jesus knows compassion that's greater than your condition. We often look with compassion. We're like, we need to help them. Why do you need to help them? Because of their situation. Listen, the situation is bad. That's disappointing. Absolutely. But Jesus doesn't just love you because you're in a bad situation. He loves you because he called you to be at his table and you're not. And he's coming after you. He's coming after you not because you're in a bad place. He's coming after you because you're not where you belong. He's coming after you not because you're in a bad place. He's coming after you because he has a place for you and you're not in the place he has for you. I, want, I know this sounds so simple, but I don't want you to overlook this because what we tend to do is look at God with the billy club and the judge and the master. Oh, I'm in the bad place, so he wants me to get back where I belong because I'm not in the right place. I'm doing bad things. Bad things, without a doubt, absolutely. Don't do bad things. Don't, don't do drugs. Don't sleep around. Don't lie. Don't do, don't do that stuff. God's not disappointed because of what you did. God's disappointment is not your sin. His disappointment is that you're not in the place he created you to be. But we connect disappointment with my behavior. You following me? God's disappointed because I did bad things. No, he's disappointed because he has more for you and you're not walking in everything he has for you. But if all we ever do is set up with get your act together, then the only way I know God's love is if I deserve it and earn it. Good luck trying to do that. I tried it for way too long. I gave up. I gave up. I wish I would have given up sooner, but it took to my early 30s to really learn grace. And to give up on trying to fit the mold, walk the straight line, do the whole, you know, I don't, whatever that is. You know, just the religious thing of just the thing that make it right, honor God, serve God. No, I no longer had to focus on honoring God. My focus was on how much he loved me. And when I know how much he loves me, man, honor just flows out of me. Does that make sense? God's not disappointed because you're in sin. God's disappointed because you're not with him right where he created you to be. Someone needs to hear that today because your identity is too much in the wrongdoing that you've done and God doesn't look at you according to what you've done wrong. God looks at you according to you being where he created you to be, to be with him, to walk with him. And so this, this whole aspect, he says, I will. And, and notice what he, what he says, I will show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your father and you will always eat at my table. He says, I will, I will show you kindness and I will restore everything that was taken away from you. How many of those are some big I wills? Those are big I wills. I'll be kind to you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm 
the son of the wrong king. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm, I'm Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, who dishonored God and who wanted to kill you, David. I'm the son of Saul. David says, yeah, I'm going to show you kindness. And I'm going to give you everything that was taken away from you. What? See, I thought I had no chance because I was dropped. I'm crippled. I can't earn it. I can't, I can't work for it. I can't deserve it. I, I have nothing to offer you. I'm crippled. You're going to be good to me when I have nothing to give you. Yeah, that's called the love of God. He's not looking for you to give him anything. He just wants you to walk in everything he has for you. He wants you to walk in the knowledge of his love, his grace, everything he has for your life. And here it is. He says, I will. Here's what you got to know. Number one, the only reason he can say I will is because he is the I am. The one who says I am, his name, his name. You say, what kind of name is that? It's everything. I am healer. I am Lord. I'm king. I'm deliverer. I'm, I'm, I'm everything you need. I am. I am. I am. So if he's the I am, that means he can back up the I will because it's who he is. I'll give you everything that was taken away. I'll I'll restore. I'm the God who restores whatever's been dropped, whatever's happened, whatever condition it is. He's the God who's able to restore what the enemy has taken. So here's what I want to say to you today. I wish I could tell you that Mephibosheth is restored and now he never gets dropped again. But if you fast forward the story, his servant Ziba who was supposed to serve him the way he served his grandfather Saul, Ziba took advantage of him and told a lie against him. And David, the king, is like, Mephibosheth, why did you do that to me? And Mephibosheth says, king, why would I, after you have been so good to me, why would I do anything like that? Do whatever you think is necessary. But all I know is you have been so good to me and already given me more than I deserve. You know what David said? David said, then I know you're right. I know your heart is right. Why? Because he had gratitude. What's gratitude? Gratitude is our ability to let go of the person who dropped us and take hold of the person who picked us up. Some of us are still holding on to the person who dropped us. The situation. That person that let us in. That that person that introduced us to pornography that really opened the door and led us down the path we didn't want to be. And where we are is because this happened. Let go of where you've been. Quit blaming the past. Quit holding on. Let go of where you've been. Release the person. Someone in the night mishandled, mistreated, misused, abused. They they, they, They came in a place that they dropped you. They brought something into your life that was not of God. I want to say to you today, God knows. Let go and release what's been done to you so that you can hold on to the one who's delivered you. And how do you do that? It's gratitude. It's gratitude. You've been so good to me. You've been been so good to me. It changes my whole perspective. I I grew up in a home of uh, foster care. My sister and I are the biological siblings that uh, we were the two and then uh, mom and dad adopted six others after us. Um, so I'm the oldest of eight kids. My youngest brother is uh, 10 years old. Try explaining that. Your parents are how old? Don't think too much into that. They just adopted my, my youngest brother, two brothers, they're siblings. But um, 
so I, I grew up around adoption, foster care. Um, my sister, she is, she's a hero to me. She, uh, she caught on to what mom and dad had. My, my heart, man, I, I, I do, um, I fully believe in foster care and creating home environments to rescue because I've just watched it. Uh, I remember the day uh, going with mom and dad to pick up my brother uh, who was living in a, a home, a shelter just briefly. He at that time was uh, five years old. And I remember the day going to California, California Drive in Littlestown, Pennsylvania, this uh, brown cottage to pick up my brother, a kid I never met before, but he's my brother, a kid that was abandoned. My, my sister, she just three years ago, her and her family, this is their picture, um, she got a call. Well, now it's been a little over four years. She gets a call. There's a kid who has been left at the hospital. Mom was a, um, a drug addict. Mom was pregnant. She gave birth to the child. They tried to help her be clean, but she, um, she signed herself out, out after having birth, giving birth and left the child there. My sister gets a call and says, hey, there's a baby that's been left at the hospital. Um, we need a place for him to go. Would you be interested in giving him a place to stay? My sister, um, already having a family of three, says, yeah, we'll, we'll go get him. Well, she didn't get him because it took two to three weeks for him to detox through NICU, and she was with him. And um, she, of course, brought him in and and... His sister comes along later. And so now my sister has him, JJ, and, and Destiny, his sister. And uh, three years ago now, this is a picture from three years ago. Um, he's almost two in this picture. He was a baby. But this was at Adams County Courthouse in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where they signed the papers. And he is adopted. And now he runs around when we visit, and he calls me Uncle Jason. I don't know if you noticed, but we don't look alike. No resemblance at all. But that kid sits at the same table I sit at. We buy him the same gifts. We buy all the nieces and nephews. We share a meal. We dream. We speak life over him. And he gets his butt beat like the rest of them when he needs it. (laughs) Because this kid who someone else dropped got picked up by someone else it's called adoption and you know what somebody dropped me in life inadvertently I expected someone to love me they didn't love me the way I should have been loved things happened the way and there was a course that was set in my life and I found myself in Lodabar but guess what there was a king who said hey he's calling for you and he wants you to come to his palace and when I got to the palace he didn't say and you know what it's your fault that you no when I got to the palace he said hey I want to show you kindness I want you to have a seat I'm going to restore everything that was taken from you I want you to eat at my table like one of my sons because you belong to me wait I'm crippled I'm not perfect I don't have my act together I don't love you because you're perfect I love you because you're mine I created you in my image the enemy may have taken you sin may have taken you but I paid a price I died on the cross and the work I did on the cross is now you belong to me so don't live like a slave don't live like an orphan don't live like just someone in my house I want you to be my son my daughter you are my child so live like it
Walk like it. Love like it. Know the, experience the freedom and joy that I live with the one who shall supply all my needs. Oh, doesn't mean I don't get trouble. Doesn't mean I don't have issues. Doesn't mean I don't have difficulties. But guess what? I live in freedom and joy because who the sun sets free is free indeed. The God who delivered me from low to bar knows how to take me out of this low bar. He knows how to take me at this moment because whatever your low bar is, it's low. And here's what we try to do. We say to people, oh, well, it could be worse. Can I tell you that is the worst thing to say to anybody at a low moment? Can I take this one off the table? You know, someone has it worse than you do. That doesn't help. That doesn't help. And that's not the help that Jesus brings. Jesus doesn't come across and say, well, at least you don't have it as bad as someone else. Can I tell you, God is not a God of comparison. He's a God, he loves you individually. And whatever your low moment is, God comes along and says, hey, I know what it is. I know where you are and I love you and I want you to rise up out of this. So whatever your low is, don't compare it to anybody else. He doesn't compare your lowness to someone else's. He compares your lowness to his healing and his grace he has for you. The only comparison is, are you where he meant for you to be? How many of you say, I'm walking in the total freedom of being a son, a daughter of the Most High, that this is my hope. Would you stand with me all across this place today? We're going to sing this. I want you to walk in total freedom. Amen? For some of us, it might be recognizing, Jesus, what you did for me, I've got to release the person that dropped me. I've got to release the person that dropped me and hold on to the one who picked me.